John, again, thank you so much for leading us in singing uh, tonight. I get caught up in the song and forget uh, that I may be up next to teach. I mean, it's just, that's great that you bring us before God and give us that joy of singing and songs. You realize all of this is practice for the rest of the week and what you will do in your private time uh, before God and uh, and in your home with him. Thank you, Pat, for uh, uh, interpreting today. And, um, and you know, we talk about uh, communication is both verbal but also, you know, physical with hand gestures. And Pat does that better than anybody. <laughs> he uh, expresses, uh, uh, you know, what's being said, not only for individuals who are deaf, but also for all of us. It gives expression to these words of God. And what a joy to see him do that. That's uh, a secret in our family. We listen to both sermons, you know, at the same time. And really appreciate all that Pat has done over the, the year. Uh, I'd like tonight to share with you a verse. And the verse that I selected tonight is from Second Peter. And so take your Bible and turn to Second Peter. And I'd like to share with you from Second Peter a passage that was first written almost 2,000 years ago. Behind me on the screen, you'll see a piece of parchment. This actually comes from about the 300s A.D., but this is a copy of Second Peter. That's what it originally would have looked like when it was first copied and passed on to others. That's in the Greek language. You notice how they squish all the letters together. It's very difficult to <laughs> even to read through, I would say, now and to pick out different words. But this is how the very first Christians, people just like you, 2,000 years ago when they, when they sat down together and said, tonight I have a letter to share with you. It, it's, it's from Peter. It's his second one. They would say B. They don't say two. They would say Peter Beta, you know, the, or, uh, you know, the, the second version of Peter. And, and this is what it looked like. And they would have read this together in an assembly just like this. And then somebody may expound on this is what what we're reading means, and then there'll be an encouragement or an exhortation to say, let's do this. And I'd like to do the same thing for you tonight, and just for you to know that somebody copied this letter from Greek into other languages, and eventually they would, they would translate this into English, so that tonight, here in Anchorage, Alaska, of all places, we could do the same thing that those very first Christians did and read this passage. So open that up in your Bible to Second Peter And we'll share this passage together. But let's ask God to come and bless the reading of his word. Our Father, thank you again uh, for the opportunity tonight to sit before you. We pray that you've heard our songs, that you will bless now the reading of your word. And as we share communion again and share this time of worship, we pray that you will be blessed. We ask that you come as your word is being read and that you be our teacher now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the book of Second Peter, like I said, is actually a letter. It's meant to be read first to the end. We probably could, in the time that I'll spend commenting on this one verse, could just read through Second Peter. And I, I'm, I'm not so sure that that would be a bad use of our time. Uh, because the, the letter is meant to be taken as a whole. And the message of Second Peter is really to say... You know, there are some bad things that are going to happen, but you hang on to Jesus because God will make things right again. When you look at the world around you, you're going to see terrible things going on, terrible things happening. But you can you can have faith in the justice of God. And that's the whole point of second 
Second Peter, and you'll see that from the very first line on. But we're going to pick up our reading in verse 3. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says this, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life or a reverent life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness or his own glory and virtue. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world that's caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance. And to perseverance, godliness. And to godliness, mutual affection. And to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from past sins." Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. Or some of your versions may say, you will never fall. And you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, that's our passage for tonight, and let's just take a few minutes to jump back into that passage, and I think what you'll find is that one of the reasons that this letter was copied over and over again and passed down the generations and eventually falls into your hands is because the passage you just read is so very practical, especially for those who are followers of Christ, and see if you don't find that that is true. To understand what Peter gives us here in Second Peter, it's important to understand something from the ancient world uh, in terms of what were called ethical lists. It was very common in the literature of the ancient world for them just to list out a, uh, a series of virtues or ethical principles. And I wanted to give you a couple of examples of that so you can see where this letter fits into its own culture 2,000 years ago, and then you'll see how we can apply it today. But if you were to go back and read Aristotle, in his Nicomachean Ethics, one of the books that he wrote, he, re- he makes statements like this, and see if you catch the ethical principles in this. Aristotle says, It's not possible to be good, in the true sense, without prudence, nor to be prudent without moral virtue, or retes. So you see what Aristotle did, is he took these three principles, goodness, prudence, and then moral virtue, and you see how he stacks them on top of each other. And that was what was called an ethical list. Here's another example. You've probably heard of the cardinal virtues. This was Plato. He's the one that first articulated this, but this was later picked up by Christians and promulgated throughout the ancient world. And that was there are four virtues that are kind of like the cardinal points on a, uh, on a compass almost. And the four were called courage, prudence, self-restraint, and justice. And you'll see what he does. He builds a list of those and says, these are the virtues. If you're going to be a kind of person who has any qualities, make sure you instill yourself with these qualities. Now, this was picked up by the New Testament writers, and you'll see this same type of ethical list being put together in many of the letters that you read. So I'll just share this passage with you from Galatians, which may be familiar to you, and listen how Paul 
having grown up in a town where they used these ethical lists all the time, he, he now takes that same method of teaching, but he gives it uh, a Christian foundation. And he says the acts of the flesh are obvious. And now he, he gives you an ethical list of bad qualities. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. You hear what he does? He just gives you that whole list and rattles it off. And then he switches it and says, well, here's the good list. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, I'm sorry, Pat, I just realized what I'm doing. <laughs> Can you, isn't that amazing how he keeps up with all that? Against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. You see what Paul does. He gives this list of all these virtues Maybe I won't read this whole thing, but in Romans chapter 1, there's another one of these lists where Paul, when he's talking about uh, our culture having a mind that is given over, this untested mind, what does it lead to? Well, it leads to every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity. Uh, People are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. And again, you see what Paul does. He just makes this list. Now, if you understand the way that ethical lists fit into the ancient world and writings and teachings, then you'll notice that that the writer of 2 Peter does something a little bit uncanny, a little bit different than anyone else. And that is that this, the, the writer here takes this ethical list and instead of just handing you this list like it's a buffet table and saying, here's some things to choose from, instead of just giving you a list to make a bigger point, he takes these qualities and he puts them in order and stacks them up. And so let's go through each of these qualities where Peter says, for this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, self-control, perseverance, perseverance, godliness, godliness, mutual affection, and then to mutual affection, add love. Now let's go through each of those and talk about what uh, each word means, and then I think you'll see at the end, it's amazing how this wraps together. This morning we talked in the sermon about faith, and you'll remember that the word faith, and when used in this context, means the same as it did this morning, faith means the firm conviction in the truth of something. I always feel like I need to pause and say faith then doesn't mean what faith tends to mean now. Because when we use the term faith uh, in our culture and time, it's oftentimes used as a statement for something someone believes when there's no other, otherwise no proof for what they believe. That's not what it meant in the ancient world. In the ancient world, if you were to take geometry and you work the, you remember the geometric proofs? Everybody in 7th, 8th grade, or whenever we did that, maybe that was high school, <laughs> geometry. You remember how you have to go through line by line, and if you get to the end and all the numbers work out or all the lines work out, then you say, this is a geometric proof. In other words, you can come to the end and say, this is true because all of these other statements are true. And in the ancient world, that proof at the end would be known as faith. You can have faith in that final line. Uh, in a court case, 
if the attorneys on each side present the case and you're in the jury box at the end, once you've seen all the evidence, you can say, we have a firm conviction in what actually happened here. We know what happened because we have seen the evidence. And that firm conviction would be called faith or proof. And so faith was the product of evidence, of having seen the proofs. It wasn't wishful thinking. It is not a leap of faith. And that's really important for you to understand in this passage. Peter says that it all begins with faith. Now, in this letter, that faith, unlike we talked about this morning, which was a faith in Jesus, this passage is talking about a faith in the justice of God. That despite what's going on in the world, you can know for certain that God will make things right again. You'll see that in the very first line of the letter where he says it's a faith in the righteousness of God. And that's where it begins, with that firm conviction in God's justice. But then the writer says, add to that something called goodness. Now, this was the best attempt our English translators had at giving you what this word means. The word is actually virtue. But uh, virtue, in a modern sense, tends to take on more of uh, the context of somebody who is uh, uh, sexually pure. You know, when we talk about somebody being virtuous, we usually mean, well, they're sexually pure. And that's not what this word, this word was much broader than that. Virtue in this context means somebody who is good, but the reason they're good is because of of practice. In other words, a person just doesn't wake up one day and say, I think I'll do good. Uh, They become good, kind of like an acorn growing into a tree, because they grow over time by using uh, wisdom. And so the word goodness or virtue in the ancient world meant having the quality of always doing the exact right thing you should do in that moment. That's really what virtue meant. A virtuous person was someone who just always seemed to know the right thing to say or the right thing to do. And the reason they knew the right thing to do or the right thing to say is because they practiced every day. So when it comes to a major big decision and somebody makes the right decision, it would be because in all the little decisions leading up to that, they had, they had trained their mind to say, what's the right thing to do? So when it comes to a big decision, they'll make the right decision. Same thing with what they do. When somebody does something good and it's courageous and it's the right thing to do, then in the ancient world they said that's because of all the little times that they practiced doing the right thing. And that's what the writer of Second Peter says, is that you add to this faith in the justice of God, you add this moral quality of practicing doing the right thing over and over and over again. Now, to that, he adds knowledge. Now, this was a special word in the ancient world. In fact, they valued knowledge over almost everything else. For them, this was, this was the target. This was the goal, was to be someone who had the correct knowledge of things that were real and unchanging. Now, if we were to go to school in the ancient world, there were three subjects that they would say never change, no matter where you go. And this is what you would learn about. And those three subjects were physics, logic, and ethics. And if you think about it, this makes sense. These are the three subjects that never change, no matter where you you go. The, The physics that you know or learn, maybe intuitively, here on Earth, do you know those are the same physics that work anywhere in the universe? I'll reach for the easy, low-hanging fruit. But you realize two plus two, if you take two objects and put two objects with it, that makes four objects. Do you realize that's true 
no matter where you go in the universe, the principles of mathematics apply wherever. That's true of all of physics. Well, that's also true uh, of the rules of logic. So logic is just using our mind to reason. Do you realize the reason we can reason is that logic doesn't change no matter where you go? You've heard of syllogisms, something that you can kind of work out. Uh, The classic easy one is uh, all human beings are mortal. I am a human being, therefore I am mortal. It's called a syllogism. And you know that that last line is true. You can have faith in that proof because it is logical. Well, you realize that that logic, and, and just so you know, logical proofs can get much more complex than that. But the point is that logic doesn't change, no matter where you go in the universe. And the same is true of ethics. In other words, doing the right thing doesn't change. So if you and I were astronauts and we flew off to some distant planet, you realize on that distant planet, whatever we intuitively know is right and wrong here on Earth is also going to apply on that distant planet. If we got angry with each other and I used some implement to kill you on the planet of Mars, you realize that would still be just as wrong as if that happened here in the U.S., even though there's no laws that currently cover, you know, Mars. That's because ethics doesn't change. Well, the ancient world, they knew this, that those three topics don't change anywhere. And so one of the goals was to become a person who had that knowledge of those three things. The writer of Peter does something one step further and says, let me tell you something else that doesn't change anywhere in the universe. You know what that is? A knowledge of Jesus Christ. And he says, add to your faith goodness or virtue to your virtue knowledge not just the knowledge he's not discounting the knowledge of these other things but also the knowledge of jesus christ and to your knowledge add self-control now self-control is exactly what it says it's a control of self there's two other words that you can use for this the word in the ancient world that was used here means uh have a law to yourself or be a law unto yourself do you remember um a few years ago, it was Sprite, I think, had the uh, the advertisement that said, Obey your thirst. You know, that's what they said. When you're thirsty, you know, quench your thirst with the drink. Well, you realize as human beings, for whatever reason, we have a tendency to always obey our our feelings, to follow our desires. If there's an impulse, there's a tendency to follow that. But one of the things that makes you unique in all the animals of the world, is that you have the ability to impose a self-law. If you put a cat running in front of a dog, and the dog is not trained by the outside, the dog will chase the cat. If you put raw meat in front of an animal, you know, they're going to attack that. If you run in front of a bear, you know what's going to happen. Because the animal has to obey its thirst. It'll obey that impulse. You as a human being have the ability to feel an impulse, to have a desire to do something, but to impose a self-law and say, I will not do that if it's not the right thing to do. And that's what's called self-control. It's the ability to manage an internal impulse. And that's what the writer of Second Peter says. You start with faith, you add goodness. To that you add knowledge. And then to that knowledge you add this self, self-law or this self-control. And then to that you add perseverance. So if self-control is a law from internal impulses, perseverance is a resistance to external uh, pressures. 
And so the word here, perseverance, it's one of my favorite. I have about 10 favorite Greek words. I, I made a list last night and it came out to 10, but I'm sure it'll it end up getting longer. But one of my favorite words is this word for perseverance. And the word is hupomone. Hupo means under and mone means remain. The word for perseverance loosely translated would be a foundation. It would be, you be that kind of person that is under everything else, unmovable. You know, the foundation, you know, you can blow down a building in a storm. Even an earthquake will make a building crumble, but the foundation, you know, you be that rock solid, you know, base. And so the the writer here is saying to your self-control, which is resistant to internal impulses, you have this eternal, or excuse me, this, uh, uh, this resistance to external pressures, to bend to the culture around you, to bend to what is popular at the time, to bend to, uh, uh, you know, to whatever the, the wind of uh, teaching or pressures are in the community in which you live. You have what, what has been translated as an enduring resistance to these external pressures. But notice that that external resistance is not just its own quality. It is built on all these other qualities, starting with faith, Adding goodness, adding knowledge, adding self-control, adding perseverance. But that's not where it stops. After perseverance, you add godliness. And godliness here is not a religious term. It just means reverence towards things that are godly or things that are of God, but also just general reverence for things that are good, for things that are holy. Uh, and, and this, again, is something that you add. It's a quality of being the kind of person that is able to see the value in everything God made, in every person that God put here in this place and time, and having a reverence for all things that come from God. And to that, you add mutual affection. I bet you know the word for this. If I said the word, it's Philadelphia. Guess what city we, we get from that? Do you know any cities named Philadelphia? Do you know what Philadelphia, what their motto is? It's a city of brotherly love. Is that what you said? Yeah. That it's, and that's what the word means. Philos, it means friend. And Adelphia, brother. It means to be a friend of your brother, brotherly love. This, this word means, and it meant in the ancient world, a sort of beneficence towards other people. Meaning I'm able to see what your needs are. And I will set aside my needs in order to help meet those. It's showing affection, showing uh, care for the needs in other people. But notice this isn't a quality in and of itself. This is a quality that only comes after somebody has built off of faith. And to that, they've added this practice of doing what is good. And to that, adding this, uh, uh, the knowledge, especially the knowledge of Jesus. And then adding to that self-control and to that perseverance. And then to that, this mutual or excuse me, then godliness, and then mutual affection. But then to all these things, the writer says, add the top quality. And he ends with this one. And that quality is love. Now, in the ancient world, they had four different words for love. We won't go through each of those, but you just need to know that, you know, when we say the word love, sometimes we mean the feeling we have towards somebody else. Sometimes we just mean showing somebody concern. Uh, but this word love is the highest, the highest quality of what it means to lay down your life for somebody else. This is the love that is used when describing God's love for you. What it means to have the love of God is this word agape. 
It is a lay-your-life-down kind of love. The best definition I've ever heard is that this is a type of love that does not desire but gives. In other words, being willing at a moment's notice without regret to give, without regard to what one desires or what one wants. And the writer of Second Peter here says that that's the quality at the end of them all. Well, here's what I wanted you to see tonight. And this is the beautiful way of bringing that whole passage together is where the writer says, do you realize this is the kind of person you are being made into? It all starts with faith. That's the, the seed from which the rest of the mountain gets moved. That's where it starts for you, but that's not where it ends. Faith is not the end of the journey. Faith is just the start. To your faith is added virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, then perseverance, then godliness, mutual affection and love. I put the picture of the, uh, the person going through these stages of growth as a way of just bringing to mind that's the idea that's being presented here in Second Peter, that your walk with Christ is a growing process in which you are being turned not into an older person, you are being turned into a person that looks just like a child of God. And guess what the main quality is of a child of God? It's love. By this definition of agape, you are being turned into a person who sees the world the way God does and is able to respond to the world the way that God does. Well, it's important that you see that this list of qualities is not just a buffet table. And really, the point for tonight isn't that you lay these qualities out and say, well, which one of these qualities am I going to work on? I really think that's the most practical part of this uh, message, is that you can look at this list and say, which, which one of these do I lack? But it would be wrong for you then to go in and say, you know, I need to work on self-control, so I'm going I'm to work on that this week. The point of this passage is that if you have a problem with self-control, you go back to faith. And you say, what is it about my faith that needs work? And then to add that, you add the virtue or the goodness. To that, you add knowledge. And then when you get back to that imposing a self-law, it's not you trying to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. It's, it's you before God saying, Lord, this is what I need next. But that's not where you stop. Because in your mind, you know, the reason for self-control is that God is turning me into a person who has love the way Christ loved, that lay your life down for the world kind of love. And that, I think, is the most practical thing you can take away from this passage tonight, is that you will see on that list something that you want to work on, something that you know, that's the next step for me. But it's important that you see that if you have a problem with that level, it's, it means going back to faith and starting there, and this is a building, growing process. So that brings us back to the final passage there where he says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election, for if you do these things. And what are those things? Well, that's the ethical list that he just gave you. If you practice these qualities, some versions will say, you will never stumble. I'm going to pause because that is a powerful claim. If you have these qualities, you will never fall. Now, we're not able to translate this in English quite the way it should be said, but you need to know in the original, it actually says, you will not fall, and then it throws in one other word, and that other word can be translated as ever. 
you will not fall ever if you have these qualities. Not because these qualities are the ones that you go before God and say, look, aren't you impressed at what kind of thing I've been working on? It's because when God is doing this work in you, making you right again, when you're achieving these qualities, you're being made into one of his children. It's the whole reason Jesus came and died, was to take care of the sin problem so that you, like him, could become a child of God. And if you have these qualities, you will receive a rich welcome. Isn't that a beautiful thought? A rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, that brings us to the invitation tonight. The invitation may be twofold. First is, I hope that's a little taste test of Second Peter, and it will take you only a few minutes. But read the whole book and see how this fits into the context of the rest of Second Peter. And then the, the other side of the invitation is that, I, you know, I recognize all of us are growing. And none of us are to the point yet where when we stand before God, we are already what we will be on that day when he makes us fully right again. But all of us are growing. And the whole reason that God put us here in this place and time was so that first, you could be grown into one of his children. And then secondly, so that you could be helping others. And I hope what you've seen tonight here in Second Peter is a roadmap, is a, a, a way, a very practical way of looking at how is it that God is working in each of us in our lives. But I also recognize that this is something we don't do alone. We do it together. And if there's some way that we can pray for you in working on any of these qualities or something that's even separate from what we read tonight, but some way that we can work together, I hope you'll share that in this time when we uh, sing this song and you can offer the prayer. Or if it's something private, I hope that you'll search out one of the shepherds here and say, this is something I need your help with, I need, I need prayer about. And that's the invitation tonight as we stand and sing.